Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. This is a great season when we get to celebrate Christmas. Be careful of your heart and your mind during the season to make sure you calibrate yourself around Jesus, not just the activity. Right, I, I'm, I'm one. I love the activity, but it really is about Jesus, right? And uh, he was probably born in March. We just through history we've chosen December for all kinds of reasons. Uh, we can celebrate his birth every day. You don't have to worry about whether you're on the right day. Uh, matter of fact, same with me. You can celebrate. You can send gifts. Anything, any day. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, let me let me pray, and then we'll jump in. The, the title of the message is Facing a Crazy World Prayers. Facing a Crazy World Prayers. Father, thank you for this day. God, I pray that you'd speak to us. That you would anoint this message. Anoint our hearts and our minds in this room and online as we listen. And even those who may pick up this message through the next weeks, Father, I pray that our hearts would be stirred. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Gospel of Luke, we read about this. We, we read about angels appearing in the sky, right? This, this intense hev- heavenly presence shining down on these shepherds. And the first words that the angels speak is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Do not fear. Do not fear. Repeated over and over and over and over and over all through scriptures. Do not fear. Fear is so powerful, isn't it? I mean, it is. We, 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 we call it, we, we call fear things like anxiety. We call fear things like anger. We call fear things like worry or frustration or we have all kinds of names for it, but it in the end is, is fear and it's so powerful. It debilitates us. It causes us to slip into darkness. It causes us to lose track of fear sometimes causes us to lose track of God. Like the first words the angel spoke, spoke to the shepherds was, do not fear. The first to Mary, when she found out she was going to have Jesus, do not fear over and over and over again. Do not fear. Like it's a choice. You know, I, 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 I've been thinking a lot this week about all of this kind of stuff and how we react when, when we hear things about, like, our family members. And we start to get fearful or anxious or frustrated or worried or angry or, uh, about our family members who are whatever, right? And it starts to grip us about our government, like I listen to followers of Christ all all around our region talking about, oh, what if they do this? Or why do they do this? And all this stuff wells up and all this. Oh! Our health. Our future. Our finances. Here's what I've been thinking about. If we really believed in God... I'm not trying to create doubt in us. 
Right? But if we really believed in God, if we really believed the message of the angels, do not fear for today a Savior has been born to you is Christ the Lord. He, if we really believed God, if we really believed the God that can part the Red Sea, if we really believed the God that can make bones dance in the desert, if we really believed in the God that can take His Son who is dead and bring Him to life again, what do we act like way we do? Like, would we be filled with so much anxiety? Would we be filled with so much fear about, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this? Would our racial tensions, our identity issues, our economic stresses, would they manifest themselves the way they do in us if we actually believed in a God of presence and power? Maybe we have like an elementary belief in him about our eternity. But when I read the Bible, when, when I read the, 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 what we're reading today, the Apostle Paul in prison, in prison not knowing whether he's going to live or die, in prison having been beaten in the past, having been stoned in the past, having been snuck out of cities in the past, having been told to shut up about his faith in the past over and over and over and over and over again, and he writes about what he writes about? I think, why? Why aren't there more Apostle Pauls around us? Why aren't there more Abrahams around us? Why aren't there more Moseses? Or Peters? Or Jameses? Or Lukes? Or. Maybe. Maybe we should be praying the kinds of prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed. That we would actually know God. So I, I, I'm going to tell you a little story about my mom. Uh, those of you who have been praying for my mom, my mom has COVID. She's hospitalized. She has double pneumonia. Uh, she's 91 years old. She's like not out of the woods at all. Uh, I'm going to try to do this not to elicit more sympathy or anything like that. I'm going to. I just want to talk about my mom because of what she taught me this week when I went to visit with her. So when I walked in a room, uh, I played my clergy card, by the way, to get in, because because of COVID, you can't go into the hospital. But with a clerg- clergy card, uh, oh, yes, Reverend. Uh, and so I, I took advantage of that. And, and she said, uh, does she attend your church? And I said, well, she attends online. Oh, oh, that's good. And I'm her son. Wait a minute. But... Uh, but I served my mom communion, and I prayed with her. And But he, here, here's the thing that blew me away. Probably five times or more during the first hour visit, she kept repeating this phrase to me. I'm so thankful that my children know Jesus. I'm so thankful that my children know Jesus. While she's dying... She's thinking about the people that she knows who knows Jesus and the comfort that brings to, to her. The, the idea that, that her children are in faith 
And, and then we talked about what heaven will be like. She, she did the thing that she's always done with me since I was in high school. Since my mom and I both became followers of Christ about the same time. She was in her 40s. I was in like somewhere between 7th and 8th grade. And, or 8th and 9th grade. And, and we both came to Christ. And she, my mom, since the very beginning, has read in her Bible that there, in heaven there's many mansions. And so she's described, since I was in high school, her mansion. It, it's a log cabin. It's not a mansion. It's not. It's a log cabin by a lake with a fireplace, and her and my dad sit there and read. <laughs> I'm thinking, it's, my dad never read while he was here. I don't know if he's. But, but it, for her, it represents like a restfulness, and, and and so she's she's in the throes of trying to breathe, and she's thankful for her kids' faith and her grandchildren, and she says most of them, and she's dreaming of being in heaven, and, and so I asked her. What do you think heaven's going to be like? And, and she says, well, I'll see Jesus. I'm like, yeah. And then she said, I'll see your dad. And then she said, I'll see my dad. I think. I don't know if I'll see my dad. I hope I'll see my dad. And that's what I loved about that moment with my mom. In midst of all the other stuff, she's, she's, she's totally clear that faith in Christ is what brings us into relationship with God in heaven for eternity. It's not just like going to church. Right? And her, her father died when she was in her early 20s, uh, and, and she doesn't know whether he knew Jesus. And she listed her sisters and, and some other family members and some other friends of hers that she'll see when she gets there. But, but I thought, how, how amazing, how, how powerful that she just doesn't say in her head, well, I'll see my dad, like this fantasy thing. Like, you, you know this, like, when we go to services for somebody, right? And everybody goes to heaven now. But that's not true according to the Bible. It's those who have relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love that about my mom. Is Even though in the midst of all of the concern, and she has some concern, she, she really had, I make her sound a little bit more saintly than she probably is, but... Uh, in the midst of all of that, she has this clarity that you need Jesus. And so while she's laying there, she's praying for the people that she knows. And family members that don't know. And, and that's what I pick up in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, we're going to read this prayer that he has. He's in prison, he's praying, and he's speaking about his prayers to the people of Ephesus. The people of Ephesus who live in a Roman, a Roman city, a, 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 like a New York, or a, a Tokyo, or a San Francisco kind of city. Massive wealth, massive pursuit of pleasure, massive pursuit of power, massive, massive pursuit of prosperity. Everything you'd ever want was available in Ephesus. And there's this group of Christians in the midst of it, living out their faith in a crazy world. And this is what the Apostle Paul prays for them. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going to stand in honor of God. I invite you at home as well. If you want to use version Bible, version, uh, or your hand Bible, hand, what do you call those hand Bibles? Uh, like a regular, a regular Bible, the, the kind with paper in it. If you want to use that or your screens, or we'll have it on the screens here, we're going to read and we're standing in honor of God as we read his word. For this reason, let me explain that. For all of the things that he was talking about so far in the book, his big sentence of us being predestined, of us being chosen, of us being loved, of us being forgiven, of us, all of the things that God has done for the people who love Jesus. And you can go back and read, read that later. He says, because of those things, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking. 
I keep asking. What in your life do you keep asking for? What in your life are you persistent before the throne of God about? He he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the fullness of him who fills everything in every way the church this prayer of the apostle Paul you may be seated here's, here's the highlights that, that I want to give and, and there's so much more in this passage than we could but, but this, these are like the, the, the prayers it's a prayer of thanks a prayer of thanks for faith and love God, Paul's unceasing thankfulness like when I think of my life and I start thinking, when was the last time? Actually, you could do this right now. By the way, you could gander around the room and look at who here would you say, God, thank you for their faith and love. Thank you for them. Who in your past would you say, God, thank you for their love? Who in your present? Who, who's influencing? Who do you notice in the city, in the region, in the nation? God, thank you for their faith and love. I want to be the kind of person that prayerfully thanks God. For the influences on my life. He's in prison thanking God for them. For their faith in the Lord. This faith being this dynamic trust. They're in a crazy world where they look around and say, Oh my goodness, that's awful, that's awful. They, they, they could hide, they could, they, could, they could sneak away. And Paul said, I'm thankful for your faith, your ability to live in the craziness and to transfer the weight of your life onto Jesus Christ. To transfer all of your worries, all of your fears, all of your anxiety, all of the pressures of a government in Rome that increasingly is persecuting people like you, is increasingly destroying people like you, increasingly they are going to kill you is what they were experiencing. This is just prior to the time of Nero. Everything changes for them. Paul Paul prays, I am thankful. I am thankful. I'm not stopping giving thanks for your, your faith, your ability to trust God for everything. You know what's interesting? I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing that that Paul, neither Paul nor them understood everything God was doing. He's not thanking them for their understanding of what God is doing. He's thanking them for their faith in God, even when they don't understand. Even when they do understand. 
Even when they have a thousand questions. Even when they have no questions. They're exercising, they're demonstrating faith in God. They're, they're not ashamed of the gospel. Because they know it's the power of God. I wonder if we believe that, if it would change the way we live tomorrow. That I can transfer the weight of my life and do it in such a way that the people who watch my life would say, I, I can't, I, I, don't, I don't get it. How do they trust their God like that? Like some of the people in our, our community who I, I mentioned last week who are in the throes of death. Right? Two of the individuals I've been talking about are, have been declared terminal by their physicians. And, and the people around them are asking, how can they have such a dynamic trust in God? Why aren't they terrified? What about this or what about that? He says, I, I, don't, I don't stop giving thanks for your faith in the Lord Jesus and, then, and your love. And your love. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things my mom didn't mention. She said, I'm so thankful for that all my children, you, you and your brothers, have faith in Jesus. She didn't say and that you love each other so much. I'll have to talk to her about that. See if I can scam her a little bit and say we're more loving than you think you are. Than you think we are. But, uh, but would, would people say that about you? Like when they watch your life. And they say, oh man, with all that they have going on, look at the way they trust God. Look at the way they aggressively love us. Paul's praying for that. That the, he, He's not, I think it's, he's not praying, you know, I hope I get out. I hope they bring dinner. I hope the guard showers. He's not praying about, I hope the guard doesn't beat me. He's not praying about anything about that. He's giving thanks for their faith and their love. Jesus said this way, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. By this, the world will know. You remember what love is, right? It's not that gushy, gushy, gushy feeling, right? It's not that, that, that feeling that I saw when I was leaning up against my locker and I first saw Bonnie Johnson uh, walking down the hallway and I thought, oh, oh my, Lenny, who's that? Right? It's, it, it felt something. It took me a year and a half to ask her out and several more years later to marry her. But I felt something, but that's, that wasn't, love is patient, willing to suffer a long time for someone you love. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. Love does not dishonor. I wonder if we could believe God enough and His power to transform our hearts so that we could be more loving. So that people around our region, people around our city could say, you know, those Jesus kind of people, they really seem to trust Him. And they love him and us. And there's not a reason on the face of the earth they should love us. It is not self-seeking 
Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, uh, this is this is love just for like your wife or your husband. Right? That's not what this is about. This is about love in general for everybody. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We sing about it. We talk about it. Do we do it? Like, would that become a matter of prayer for us? like it is for the Apostle Paul, that people would see a visible expression of our love that let your lights so shine in the darkness. So the Apostle Paul is praying for them that, that they would live in such a way that their neighbors, that their neighbors... So, so just Paul heard about this from somebody. He's in prison. He's hearing about, like, do people hear about our, your faith and love? Well, that's a private thing, Pastor. Not according to the Bible. A city set on a hill, a lamp on a stand is not easily hidden. Let your light shine, he says. Paul Paul's thankful for their faith and love. Here's the second thing he, he prays about. He says, he prays, let me, let me just read it. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom being that way, the wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge to your life. The, the wisdom that, that knows how to take a truth and make it real in your life. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation, revelation being that revealing, that unfolding, that, that making known to you, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that, so that you may know him better, so that you can know Jesus better, so that we could know God better, so that we wouldn't just have this knowledge here about these facts about God, these facts about Jesus, these things we argue about with other people, that's not true. You got to, that we wouldn't just have that, but that we'd know Him. Not just the information about Him. That we'd know Him, almost like He's implying, almost like He's implying, that you would have a real relationship with Him so that you could say, I actually know God. In the Gospel of John, it says that we can be a friend of God. Paul's praying that that the Ephesus church would know him, not just his teachings, not just merely his practices, but that we'd know and follow a risen Savior. You know, we say this all the time in, in the church, that we believe he's alive. Do we act like he's alive? Or do we act like his information is available? Like one of the things for several years I've been, and I'm not doing well at this yet, but I want to keep learning how to pray. Like I really want to know better how to pray, how to, how to talk with God. Not, not just information about God. To not just have ideas, not just make demands, but I want, I want to learn to listen to him. And so that when I'm walking down the street, I know I, that I know that as I've transferred the weight of my life onto him, that I know that I'm not alone. 
that when I get a phone call that would normally cause me anxiety or fear or stress or anger, that I can say, look, at God's got me. God's got us. I may not like the way he decides to manage it, but he can manage it. I trust him. Not because I'm trying real hard to trust him, but I trust him because I know him. Like I know his track record historically in the scriptures, but I also know his track record with me. That I'm not going to just settle for the idea of kind of following him. I'm not going to settle for a spirituality that kind of floats around into different things and grabs whatever thing is going on. I want to settle. No, I don't want to settle at all. I want to find the one who loves me and cares for me. I want to know the one I know better so that it affects the way I live. So that he affects the way I live. That's what Paul's praying. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit, because here's here's the honest truth. We're not going to get this on our own. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation to know him better. The God of the universe, the creator, the one who made the flowers and the mountains, the one who parts the seas, the one who makes dead bones dance in the desert, the one who makes bread fall from the sky, the one who gives a man strength to endure through imprisonment and beatings, the one who knows the difference of when he should perform a miracle, of stopping something or making something happen, and sustaining somebody through that thing that they wish would stop. That God. I want to know him better. That's what Paul's praying. I wonder if I encourage us for a moment to embrace a restlessness about this. To embrace a discontent. If it's been a while since you really feel like you know Jesus, like if you feel like you've grown distant, if you feel like you're following more information than relationship, maybe you want to embrace the restlessness about that and the discontent and ask someone to pray for you like the Apostle Paul prayed for the people of Ephesus. Would you pray for me that I would know Jesus, that I would know God? Maybe you'd make that a prayer for yourself or maybe even right now. Seriously, just take a gander around the room. Pick a head and a person behind the, underneath the head. Pick, the, pick a whole person and pray for them that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. Here's the next thing Paul prays. Well, let me, let me, let me read. Paul writes this in Philippians. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Christ and his power 
power. That's the third thing he prayed for the people of Ephesus. Prayer to know hope and power. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the lights may go off. Like someone may turn on the light in your heart, that you may know the hope to which he's called you. That you can have the kind of hope that in the midst of a crazy world, you can stand on tiptoes in anticipation of a God that's going to do what he's going to do, that's going to care for you, that's going to love you, that's going to provide for you. That you can stand on tiptoes in expectation of a God who you have have confidence in hope that when the darkness begins to descend you can light a candle of hope that says i trust in jesus the light of the world then when anxiety begins to float up around you you can grab on the hand of jesus christ anchor yourself to the shore and say he is my anchor in whom i have hope it's Hope is this confident expectation that God can. That's what we would say when we transfer the weight of our life. When your marriage is falling apart and growing cold. Then you say to God, God, I have a confident expectation that you can turn this thing around. Reignite a flame. When your finances are going south, you can ask God, that God, I have hope in you that you can turn this around. That I can trust you. Either you'll provide finances or you provide whatever it takes for me to be okay. Not okay by my standards, but okay by your standards. Because I trust you. I've transferred the weight of my life to you. I want to have hope in you. I want to stand, I want to tilt my life always towards you and the future with you. And then he talks about this power, this power, this power of God to, to know his incomparably great power. The, 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 the word great there is the Greek word megathos. Megathos. I like that. Sounds like a transformer. Hi, I'm megathos. Which means great, great power, dunamis. Mega dunamis. This incomparably, the kind of power that you can't compare to anything else. Do we believe in a God like that? Or do we believe in a God that's going to let whatever you're worried about in our government tank? Or are we okay if God chooses another method of governing us? Governing us? Do we have to have it? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying there, right? The question is, can we trust God for whatever's going on? Do we believe that he has this mega ton power? Listen to this from Timothy Keller. The way we describe power is we try to describe it by comparing it to something else. So you can say a hurricane has one thousandth of the power of a nuclear warhead. A nuclear warhead has one millionth of the power of an explosion on the surface of the sun. The sun has one billionth of the power of an exploding supernova. How do we describe the power of God? Do we say his power is the power of 100 supernovas? A million supernovas? Or a billion billion supernovas? Paul is saying here, no, 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 no. God is not at the top of the scale. God has never been on the scale. So he's not even off the scale. He utterly transcends the scale. He's, Paul writes, his incomparably great power to those of us who believe. Do we believe? See, my belief sometimes is shattered because he doesn't do out there what I want him to do. Which means I don't trust him if he doesn't do it the way I want him to do it. But we say, and we pray, God, 
You raised dead. You invite us to have a trust in your resurrection by the same power you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead. So like my mom who's laying there, just on the doorway, she has a confident expectation that God... She's planning on meeting Jesus. She's praying for her kids and her grandkids and her great-grandkids. That the God who has the power to make dead bones dance in the desert, that the God who has the power to part the Red Sea, that the God who has power to kill giants... That the God who has the power to transform lives that the God who has the power to pluck a kid in Proctor, Minnesota in junior high who had done enough stuff to deserve damnation by that time already that God has the power to say to him if you trust me I got you for the rest of eternity And I worry about my finances. And I get fearful about what's going to happen to my kids. Who am I trusting in? The Apostle Paul's in prison and God's giving him the strength to endure and sustain. God's not getting him out of prison yet. I wonder, those of us who are enduring things... Do we trust in the power of God to sustain us through it or do we demand that He fixes it? Blindness? Leprosy? Lame? Provision? Joy, courage, contentedness. God, that you'd give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation inside of me to know you better. And that you'd give me hope, the ability that no matter what's going on around me, that I would stand in confident expectation that you can and that it will be good for me and that it will always be love for me that that same power that you resurrected Jesus from the dead with for me I wonder if we could pray like that We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder to us, not of historical facts only, and I 100% believe that there's historical facts that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again. But they also remind us of the power of God. That the one who was crucified, dead, and buried rose fully alive and walked among us. And we say, 
is still alive, that we can know him and be loved by him and protected by him. His presence and his power 24-7. Imagine if we lived like that.